Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Kimberly Novad. She and her husband, Aaron Novad, are the founders of Saul's Light. They established Saul's Light in 2015 to ease the financial and emotional burden of having a child in the NICU or losing a child for other parents. Hello, Kimberly. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Kimberly. I'm from New Orleans. Um, and I have to mention that second because that's a very important part of my identity um, and also why I'm committed to doing the, the level of work um, that I'm doing. Uh, because I love New Orleans. I love my people. I love my community. Um, and so, you know, New Orleans is just a, a city that is full of um, life, but also mass inequalities, mm-hmm. um, and particularly when it comes to birth outcomes. Um, and so for me, I was actually kind of late to, the, to that knowledge. Um, and so, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll start with my birth story and then how I got into this, um, you know, into the work that I'm mm-hmm. doing now. Um, and so I grew up in New Orleans and, you know, grew up in a family that really taught me that, you know, you should always strive to, you know, do your best. And then if you do that, good things will happen for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I was kind of, um, you know, shielded in a way to like mass inequities mm. in the world, right? And just thinking that good things happen for good people, yeah. right? And even to the extent that, you know how in some like super Christian households, people might be raised to think that, you know, if you do something bad, God's going to get you or mm-hmm. God's going <laughs> to punish you, right? Um, so I I had that. Like, yeah, you know, I grew up with that, um, and so you know, I I did it. I did all the things that people say are the right things to do. Um, you know, I went to school, I went to college, um, got a master's degree, got a job, bought a house, got married. Like you know, did all these things that you're supposed to do. Um, and then um, in 2014. I got pregnant with my son, Saul, which is the namesake for Saul's light. Um, and so of, of all the things that I had done right or accomplished in my life, I had no reason to think that this wouldn't also be a thing mm-hmm. um, that would be right for me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I set myself up or put myself in a position to say, okay, now that I'm ready to have a family, I have all of these things in order then the next step is that I'm going to get pregnant and I'm going to have a healthy baby at the end of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Is what I thought. Um, and then, um, with no, um, indication, my son came early. Um, and that was a shock to me Mm -hmm. as you know, premature birth is to most people. You never once figure that you're going to have your baby prematurely when you get pregnant. You never once figured that your baby is going to go to the NICU. Um, and so that the premature birth in itself was its own very traumatic experience, um, because things felt out of kilter. 
Um, and then my son, um, you know, he came about 10 weeks early and initially seemed like he would do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we knew that the NICU would be a part of our experience, but we thought for sure we're going to be able to take him home. Um, and we, we basically, you know, so much as got that message from the healthcare provider, you know, this is, it's going to be tough, but this is really kind of a best case scenario. He was a big baby for his gestational age. Um, he was born in the latter part of my pregnancy. Um, and so, you know, we just thought it's going to be an uphill battle, but we'll take him home. We knew people that had had premature babies and, you know, their babies stayed in the NICU and they brought their babies home. So we thought for sure that that is what would happen to us. Um, and it didn't. My son got um, a brain bleed, which is, you know, something that happens to preemies. It's kind of mm-hmm. typical. Most brain bleeds resolve on their own, but his didn't. It got worse. Um, and so he, he ultimately, he died because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that for me, of course, was devastating, right? Because I never saw it coming. Um, Even when he was in the NICU fighting for his life, I never saw it coming. I thought, this is the NICU, this is the hospital, these are doctors, look at these machines, look at technology, they're going to save him. And why wouldn't they? Because my sister had premature babies and they saved them, or, you know, my neighbor had premature babies and they saved them. So I had that expectation that they they would say them yeah you know and so I I learned a lot about the limitation of medicine I learned a lot about the limitations of um doctors about the limitations of life Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about full-on existential crisis, yeah. <laughs> and as a result of um, you know that experience, um, I describe it as a rabbit hole of grief. Um, and so, yeah, I fell down a rabbit hole of grief, and I was completely devastated. And it was, it was of course because my baby died, right? But mm-hmm. also my hopes and my dreams died my hopes and my dreams for my family, mm-hmm. for my life. And then everything that I thought good that I deserved because I did things right. Mm-hmm. Um, it proved to me that like, there's no justice in the world. <laughs> like there's no, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. no, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily get good things because you're a good person. Right. That's not how this works, you right. know? Um, and, and so I, I was so lost and I would say probably for at least a period of two years, maybe even a little more. Um, and really, first of all, let me just say that the mental health battle Mm. And the adjustment to my new normal is ongoing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it took me probably two solid years um, to like come back to life. And it took a lot of medication. Um, You know, I was on pharmaceutical drugs day and night. Mm -hmm. Um, It took a lot of therapy. It took a lot of mindfulness, a lot of yoga a lot of meeting with other moms who had experienced loss um, for me to 
um, for me to come back to life. I, I was basically existing and I didn't even want to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just because it just really shook me um, and who I thought I was. Um, and my, my understanding of the world, my mm-hmm. understanding of but everything that I thought that I knew. Right. Um, and so, you know, fast forward to me trying to work through that grief and work through that healing, I thought, um, let me start an organization that can help people like mm-hmm. me. Right. So like I'd met other families when we were in the NICU and I saw a myriad of problems that people had, Um, you know, so like people that had other children Mm -hmm. couldn't visit the NICU or they had to trade off with their parents because you can't bring children in the NICU. Right. Or some people that couldn't visit as often as they wanted to because they didn't have money for gas. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I my husband and I were fortunate to be in a position where. We were both employed. We had understanding employees, uh, employees, and they made accommodations for us. So we got to spend like all of our time at the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, but we saw the things that were going around in that NICU all around us, right? And so the NICU does not discriminate. Mm-hmm. It does not matter if you're black, you're white, if you're rich or you're poor, if you have a master's degree or a high school diploma, mm-hmm. right? So here we are, all these mixed people with all our own life issues or identities, but we're in the same boat and that our babies are fighting for their lives and we are scared to death. Yep. Um, and so, you know, with the organization, I just wanted to, to be able to do something for people um, that other people had done for me. Mm-hmm. So when I, you know, when I was in, um, when our son was in NICU, we, we had everything that we needed yeah. and our community supported us. So we didn't have to cook. People dropped meals on our doorstep. Um, we had a friend who lived near the hospital and she let us stay in her house so that we could be there at the drop of a dime. Um, you know, all these things that people did for us. And I thought everybody needs to have a safety net. Yeah. And most people don't, right? No, we talk about right. this like philosophical thing of like the village is gone. Mm-hmm. Well, the village is gone because nobody is mobilizing the village. <laughs> uh, you know, right. so that's, that's what I wanted to do. To, right. To like say to everybody, you know what? Like, hey, everybody, you know, a lot of people are in the NICU. A lot of people are struggling and we need to do something about it because everybody can help. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have millions of dollars to be able to help somebody. Um, if you can drop a meal on their doorstep, right. you can help. Right. If you can donate $20 for a, a gift card for them right. to get gas or to get grocery, then you can help. Right. Mm-hmm. And so our approach from the beginning has always been one of um, community support, yeah. communal support. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of that, that, it's a grassroots organization that relies on the support of individuals in a community um, and local, you know, businesses, um, local people, right? So it's activating our community to do what we do best, which is embrace people that are having hardships, right? Mm-hmm. So 
I know that was a long-winded response. No. (laughs) I said all that to say um, is so Salt Light started out as like this, you know, this kind of like feel-good thing that I wanted to do to like find meaning um, in the loss and to to help me heal. And, um, And then it grew because then I learned about, health disparities. Mm -hmm. And I learned that the majority of the babies in NICU are black and brown babies. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the reason they got there is because the majority of their moms are experiencing premature birth Mm -hmm. and infant mortality. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, you know, first of all, could this be what happened to me? Mm-hmm. I had never once put that together. Um, and then the more and more I, I um, you know, thought about my own experience and thought about the role that race played in it, mm-hmm. um, then it just made me mad as hell. I was so, I mean, I don't think I've ever been so angry mm-hmm. because I feel you know, I went from thinking like, okay, this is something that happens. This was a fluke. It could happen to anybody. But then when I realized that it probably happened to me and has a greater chance of happening to other black women, simply Mm -hmm. because we are black, simply because our babies are black, I thought, well, no, um, that just, that can't be right. Um, and so now, you know, everything that I do is through the lens of, um, you know, talking about inequities and talking mm-hmm. about health disparities because, you know, our organization is for the city of New Orleans and the state of New Orleans. We help all families, regardless of their colors and their situation. Yeah. Um, however, we cannot ignore the fact that Black and Brown families. Black and brown babies are overrepresented in the NICU and mm-hmm. overrepresented in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. That is not okay. It's the same conversation that we're having with black maternal mortality. Mm-hmm. We want our women, we want our mothers, and we want our babies. Yep. Our babies are the future of our community. Right. And so we can't keep, number one, burying them, mm-hmm. especially when their death could have been prevented. Yep. And number two, we can't keep setting them up for, uh, you know, for essentially what are maybe not failures, but limitations of their life when they're born yes. prematurely. Yes. Yes. Right. Premature babies, yes. even the ones that do go home, face sometimes an even greater struggle beyond right. their birth experience, beyond their right. birth story. Right. You know. Right. So that is still a child that has not or could not or won't reach their full potential, which is something they could have been destined to do, mm-hmm. but was changed as a result of premature birth. Right. Or just right. completely snatched away from them as right. a result of infant mortality. Right. And it's I even, not okay. I even think about, you know, you saying that I think about you talking about your experience and what you had to go through to heal. Like yeah. the limitations that puts on you for, um, 
you as a person and then a mother and then a wife and a friend, like your, your overall yes. for the family structure, you know, there's yes. that then. Um, yeah. You know, whether 100 or you've had the NICU experience overall, because like you yeah. said, even having, and I got chills when you said this, not even just talking about the, the after effect of your, then your baby being in NICU, but the experience of birthing a premature baby, like mm-hmm. that whole experience that changes you. Um, yes. So- yes, because what we see with women and same thing with me is that it can destroy your relationship with your body. Yeah. You don't yes. trust your body. Yes. Oh my You're gosh, not thankful yes. for your body. You maybe even hate your body. Yes. Right? And so you're right. What it does is it breaks you in a way that nothing else can because it is so out of nature. Mm-hmm. It is so not right. That is the simplest way. And I think probably the most profound way to say it, right? Is that mm-hmm. it's not right. And so we expect um, women and particularly black women that already have to deal with the realities of being black and being a woman in this society. And now we expect her to just go home and get on with it. When, like you said, she has to return back to her family. Maybe she has other children. Maybe she wants other children. Maybe she can't have other children. She has to go back to her relationship. She has to go back, back to her job. She has to go back to her community. Right. How can she do that? If she's traumatized to the point that she doesn't even have a positive relationship with her own self and her own body, how can she have a positive relationship with anybody else? Right. And how can our communities um, be strong communities without the presence of strong women of color? Mm -hmm. Because we know it's women that's holding communities down. Yes. (laughs) The ones doing the work. (laughs) Yes. 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 (laughs) Yes. <laughs> then there's that. Um, right. <laughs> yes, it's a complete. They need help. <laughs> yes, it's a complete destruction of the framework. A complete yes. destruction of the framework. Um, and I just and I also got chills when you said I, I started to realize the limitations of doctors, hospital, yes. like the, everything. The limitations yeah. of it all, because like you said, when you go into this experience, I think for many of us, I think now as we we're in a time where we're having these conversations more and mm-hmm. it's out in the open more. Um, but I even think about like my four years ago, I had no idea what mm-hmm. was going on with my first pregnancy. And now I'm like, if I would have known all these things before that, like, Right. There would have been a different course of action. Um, Well, let me give you a great example of that. Before I ultimately had my son, I was in labor for two days. And because I was a first time mom, I didn't recognize it. But I communicated with healthcare providers. And the message that I got was, your body's just preparing to give birth. This is natural. Go and lay down. Put your feet up. Go and have a glass of water and see how you feel. Call us if anything changed. But you're oh, you 10 might be weeks early. Yes, yes, exactly. So what, <laughs> and this is what I think, and I don't know for oh. sure, right? And this is the thing that like grief 
and trauma does to you. Always mm-hmm. think that you could have done something different and yeah. things would have been different. And so I don't know that, you know, I don't yeah. even know if I carried Saul to full term, if he'd still be alive. Right. Mm-hmm. Because doing this work, I've met like moms that have had stillbirths at 40 weeks, right, right. you know, so right. it, could, it could have not been prematurity. Right. Right. That's a whole nother tangent. But I said that to say, like you said, if I had known, I would have done something different. You know what I would have did? I would have taken my ass to the hospital that day, the first right. day. I would not have called on the phone. Right. I would have gone in there and demanded some kind of, you know, check or something. And maybe we could have stopped it. And maybe things would have been different. I don't know. But I do know this. I would have done something different if I had known. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to live with that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, thank you for sharing that overall story. Um, thank you so much for doing that. And so Saul's Light Now is born. And what yeah. does support for families actually entail? Like, what does that mm-hmm. look like for what you, you all provide for families? Yeah. So our support is really, um, you know, again, like I said, community support, right? right? We are mobilizing people in our own community to try to rise up and meet the needs of other people that might be in need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we work with um, specifically two groups of family that, okay. well, we separate them, but sometimes they're the same. And that's NICU families. So babies that have, um, that are in the neonatal intensive care unit and mm-hmm. bereaved families. Got it. Um, so for both groups of families, we offer social emotional support. Mm-hmm. And so that either looks like one-on-one peer support, um, which I think is very special in that we match moms together who have similar experiences. Got it. Um, so a mentee is someone who is currently going through that experience. But a mentor is someone who has already walked that road Got and it. is at least two years removed from their experience so that they're in a position to listen and encourage, but not try to, you know, do their healing through right. somebody else. Right. Um, and so I think, I think it's very important for moms who are currently in the journey or as somebody called it, um, you know, with me in the valley, right? Mm -hmm. For the moms Mm -hmm. that are in the valley, um, to see someone who has gone through it and survived it and hopefully thriving. Yes. Um, You know, and so we do one-on-one peer support. We do whole group support and which I find the whole group support is very beneficial to moms who have lost a child. In my experience for me, um, going to a gathering with a group of other moms who had experienced loss for me really was the thing that um, ch- changed everything around for me. Yeah. Um, because when you lose a child, but even in the NICU, it's so isolating and you, you know, you get down <clears throat> on yourself so much that you really believe that this is happening to you and you're the only person right. that is going through this. Right. And it's not true. People are going through this every day all over the world. Um, and then in black communities, especially people are going through it every day, multiple times a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so just to see that I'm not alone, I mean, it's really messed up, right? Because 
you know that if you're in community with other moms, you're you're in that community because they also experience loss. Right. Which for right. me is the worst realization. Um, because I know what it's like and I know what they're gonna have to to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I never want another mom to experience that. But it's also comforting to know that somebody else has experienced it. Right. And you're not alone. Right. Um, you know, and it's not all your fault. Um, so I think that, you know, offering peer support and whole group support is really, really essential to um, people healing and oftentimes finding meaning in their experience to be able to, to find, you know, to, to be able to do something that comes out of that experience, but makes meaning for you. Yeah. Um, I, I struggle to say find the silver lining because I don't know if there could be one, um, right. you know, in, right. in premature birth and NICU and infant mortality. I'm not sure there is, one. Um, <laughs> you know, and I definitely do not believe things happen for a reason. Absolutely not. That is, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, oh gosh, yeah, all the I things, go, all I, the sayings you bring, all the sayings, right? <laughs> all the sayings. God needed another angel. No. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we laugh, but it's so true. Right? The things so, that yeah. are that are used, I think, for yeah. other people to find comfort in how to comfort. Because yeah. really, like, there's it's hard to put into words when you're trying to um, show someone like, okay, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I can't say that I understand what you're going through because I don't. Right. So like. Here's the best thing I've got because I've heard other right, people. Right, right. So that happened before. <laughs> right. Um, it's true. And people mean well. Yes. They want to say something <laughs> and they want to comfort you, right? But it's just not, it's, oh my gosh. I no. hate when people tell me, like, look at all the amazing things that you, you know, accomplished through Saul's life. So see? And I'm like, no. No. I'd rather have my child. And mind my own business and be in my own world, <laughs> not, not do anything for anybody, right? You know, but I, I was not given a choice, so right. here we are. Um, uh, yes, yes. So all <laughs> of those, so, things. yeah, right, right, right. Um, look, let me get us back on track. Um, <laughs> uh, so we we offer, you know, support individual support, whole group support for both families, um, for bereaved families, mm-hmm. um, at the hospital in the case of stillbirth, we work with hospitals to, um, obtain cooling cots, which allow, um, families to spend more time with their babies okay. um, before they have to say goodbye. So, you know, spending time with your baby, making memories with your baby, I think is probably the best way if there's any way to start down a path of healing um when you don't have the opportunity to do that you know those are things um experiences that you'll regret and maybe even for the rest of your life um you know so you know thank goodness that we were able to um you know have like the photographers from now i lay me down to sleep come and and so now we have pictures of Saul. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have that. And, right. um, I, I can't imagine what that would be like, right. That'd be a whole nother, a whole nother thing to deal with. But yeah. so what the cooling cots does is 
allow people to um, have other families come and meet, uh, family members come and meet the baby. Yeah. Maybe if they have to come from out of town or, um, you know, families want to bathe their baby and dress their baby yeah. and have pictures taken of their babies. Um, you know, all those kinds of things that as they move forward on their journeys, they're going to have to rely on those memories right, to stay strong. And so we want, we think it's very important that all hospitals everywhere, um, delivering hospitals, are equipped with some kind of mechanism to uh, aid in the healing right. of mothers who experience stillbirth. Right. Um, you know, I could go on another tangent about what's the role of the hospital in, in you know, providing care, especially mental health, health care for moms. Yes. Um, but that, look, that's another episode. I mean, uh, <laughs> we can get in it. Right? <laughs> But you're right, because I don't. I I think about how are we equipping and preparing nurses and care providers strate- strategically. I hate that word, but I'm gonna say it. Um, for when these situations arrive, to to provide compassionate support, because now we're not moving right. in a typical birth situation. Right, like we're navigating a whole another level of mm-hmm. someone's experience, and we need to be providing within that compassion some form of mental health in that yeah and afterwards before sending them home yes so, yes that is not happening no. in mass that is not no um you know no. so our <laughs> work is cut out for us <laughs> um but also you know we we do care packages for bereaved moms. We do special events for bereaved moms. So we do like a yoga and mindfulness workshop every year. That is more like a gathering of women just mm-hmm. so that they can um, fellowship and just be with each other and, yeah. and talk and then come back to their body to focus on movement, to focus on their breath, um, and then to build, you know, a network and have access to mental health care providers. So we work with someone who is a yogi, but we also work with a psychiatrist. Um, so, you know, people, so they can have access to those people to, to learn about what are, what are different aspects of healing. Um, sometimes it's not in the bottom of a medicine bottle. And sometimes it's not at the bottom of a, you know, bottle of alcohol. Mm-hmm. There are all different things. And so we just want to show people like, you know, there's journaling, um, there is medication, there's yoga, there's mindfulness, there's prayer, there is all of these things right. um, that you can do. And you can choose from them how you put together to find what you need and what serves you. Um, and so we, you know, we work with NICU families the same, um, and they, they get that option to do some journaling and mm-hmm. to be able to meet with other people that have similar experiences. Right. Um, so in addition with our NICU families, we, um, have at our partner hospitals, um, patient assistant funds. And so families can, through the social worker, access a fund to help with transportation, um, if they need gas in their car to get Mm -hmm. back and forth to see their babies, if they need food while they're there, or they need food for their household. Yeah. If they need emergency bill payment assistance. So lots of times what you'll see is that, you know, people have to make a choice. Do I go and see my baby or do I go to work because right. I need money? Right. You know, or I have to pay my bills or I have to, you know, 
all, all these terrible, really, decisions that people have to make, they shouldn't have to make. And I'll tell you why. When parents are present at their baby's bedside and involved in their baby's care, their babies have better health outcomes. Mm-hmm. So if they're not there and their baby is already battling prematurity or all these other things that come with it, they need their parents there, right? right? right. And so most of the parents that are struggling with this decision of whether to be present or go and make money for the household are people of color mm-hmm. or black and brown people, people that have the types of jobs that, um, you know, frankly, if they don't go to work, they don't get paid. Right. Right. That's what we're seeing a lot here in New Orleans, especially now with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. You don't go to work, you don't get paid. And so you have to really say to yourself, am I going to put this in my gas tank and go and visit my baby? Or am I going to keep the lights on at home? Right. That's a terrible decision. NICU babies, premature babies, especially, they need their parents mm-hmm. there. They need to be held. They need to be doing kangaroo care. Yep. If a mom can breastfeed and wants to breastfeed, she needs to be pumping. They should be reading. They should be singing. All of these things are necessary for cognitive development and full recovery and speedy discharge. But parents can't do that if they're not there. Mm -hmm. And so the focus of the NICU funds is that we have to remove barriers that are keeping parents from being present. Mm -hmm. They have to be active in their baby's care. They have to ask questions because they are a part of their baby's medical team. Mm -hmm. And then what happens if they're not there? Unfortunately, right? Some people can get the impression that because a parent is not there, that they don't care. Right. Right. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. And really, it's just, it could be that the parent has to make some hard decisions and they really want to be there, but they can't. Right. Right. But it, but I hate this uh, saying, but it's true, right? Perception is reality. Mm -hmm. And so again, who is that affecting the most? It's families of color. Right. And so you have, you have to be there. You just do, right? It's like, I I remember, you know, a long time ago when my um, mom was in a nursing home. And so we visit her often and we see that the people that didn't get visits, they didn't get treated right in there. Mm Mm-hmm. So if somebody knows that you're coming and you're there and you're going to question and, and you're watching right. and looking, right. they're going to do things different. Right. Right. You know? Right. So uh, another thing that we do for NICU families um, is um, we do little libraries. And so that's a take on the little free libraries that you see yeah. in the neighborhoods where yeah. people put the books in. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, put up a little library and we put books and we make sure that our books are multicultural books, multilingual books. They're, you know, uplifting um, subject matter and that families can take books and read to their babies. Wonderful. Um, So, you know, we want to promote bonding. We want to promote cognitive development and we want to encourage reading in the hospital, but we also want to encourage reading after discharge, right? Mm -hmm. So I used to be a teacher. Um, I was a high school teacher. And, you know, education for me is very important. And I see the way that it affects children mm-hmm. as they grow up. Um, and so 
again, we get into another issue, right, of inequalities and disparities, right? So we have to equip our children, um, children of color, the best we can so that we need to be reading from the very beginning, constantly, never ceasing, <laughs> reading and bonding and, you know, mm -hmm. expressing our feelings and doing all those things to set our kids up for, for the best. Right. Um, you know, so we do, we do the funds, we do um, the library, we do individual support, um, whole group support. Um, we do a lot of education not just for families, but also for hospital staff yeah. on how to be culturally responsive, um, how to have end-of-life conversations mm -hmm. um, when that's necessary, because unfortunately, quite a lot of our families are, are going to, um, you know, experience the death of, of a child, of their child. You know, if they don't experience it right away from stillbirth or some other complication, it could come after NICU stay, right. um, you know, which is which was our case. And so we're, we develop programs um, to try to be responsive to the whole experience of NICU and infant mortality, but also to bring that aspect of communal embrace mm -hmm. and healing back to people. We want people to know that they're not alone. We want people to know that um, their community cares about them. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, when they experience the worst and maybe they're thinking there's no goodness left in the world, that there is still goodness right. left in the world. Right. Um, and that you can trust again and that life can be beautiful again. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when you go through those two experiences, it's easy to, to harden your heart and say, right. like, you know, this, this is it. This is all there is. We're all on our own. Nobody cares. Right. You know, just a, a crisis. You go through crises, right? Yeah. They're just traumatic experiences. And traumatic experiences change you. Yes. You know, like yep. over 50% of NICU parents experience PTSD. Mm -hmm. That can sometimes be a lifetime diagnosis. I know because I'm living it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, sometimes if couples, couples might break up. Yeah. Um, sometimes people might, you know, if they go on to have other children, have subsequent traumatic right. pregnancies and experiences right. as right. a result of, you know, that experience. Right. Um, or some may never have a child again because mm -hmm. they don't trust their bodies and they right. think that their body isn't capable exactly. of having another child. Um, you know, so that's our, our approach is one of love and kindness. That's how I would describe it. Yes. Oh, that it is amazing. All that you're, you're doing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, Thank you. So you said that there's hospital, like for your partner hospitals, do you have mm -hmm. um, a coupled partnered hospitals? Like how do you, who, how, what are the hospitals you work with and do you work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where can people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're in New Orleans mm -hmm. and um, we partner with a handful of hospitals officially. Okay. And so we're at Children's Hospital. We're at um, East Jefferson Hospital. We're at Turo. Um, hospital. Um, we're at 
Tulane Lakeside by referral. Um, And, you know, we accept referrals from all hospitals in Louisiana. Mm. Um, And so what that means is the difference between a partner hospital and an unofficial, you know, referral hospital is that a partner hospital has a fund that is established for financial assistance for NICU families. Got it. And they also have a little library and a cooling cot. Our, our hospitals that we work with by referral don't have a fund set up. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that they can refer patients to us and then that the family will contact us directly okay. and, um, you know, inquire about whatever assistance that they need. Okay. Um, so that's the difference. Um, we never turn down families. Um, and that's very important to me. And I'm, I think really, honestly, our organization has been blessed to be able to honor that commitment mm-hmm. um, to not be able to, to, to turn down families um, because, you know, we, we are a grassroots organization. We, we do not have all the money in the world. Yeah. We have enough to be able to help mm-hmm. some, someone, you know? Yeah. So like, um, the people that work with us, our volunteers, our board members, um, my family, when I make them, <laughs> we all <laughs> believe that if somebody is hungry, you share, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody is cold, then yeah, you give them the shirt off your back, especially if you know you have another one. Right. So, you know, we, we might can't do everything for everybody. Um, but we're going to be able to do something. And at the very least, what we can offer is a listening ear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, nobody is ever alone. Nobody experiencing enduring the NICU journey or the bereavement journey should ever feel alone. Right. Um, because there are people out there, um, who care. Right. Right. Um, so are there other plans on expanding what Saul's Light is doing, moving this outside of Louisiana? That is a good question. And, you know, people ask me that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is no. Got it. Um, we, we started in Metro New Orleans, and I thought for sure that will be it, you know, because I, I just believe like, you know, you bloom where you're planted. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that you take care of your house before you try to take care of somebody else's house. Um, And so what we realized, especially last year and this year, as we're starting to expand into Lafayette and Baton Rouge is Mm -hmm. that the need for our services is so great that we can't keep it in New Orleans. Got it. We can't. And there is not another organization in our city or state that is doing the work mm-hmm. that we're doing. Um, and that, you know, makes our work even more important. Right. Um, and, and timely. Because unfortunately, things are getting worse, right? They're not improving. Mm-hmm. Premature birth is not improving. No. Louisiana was graded an F by the March of Dimes. 
Um, our infant mortality is one of the highest in the country, maybe second to Mississippi. Um, and, you know, so our work requires that we serve a larger community outside of New Orleans, but that mm-hmm. looks like our state. Got it. Um, you know, and not more. And so we do work with other organizations across the country that are working in different states. And Got so it. if, if, for example, you know, people contact us again, we never turn down families. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also know of other organizations that we can, you know, refer families to and then be able to provide the, the help to the, to them to the extent that we can. Um, but it's very, very important to me as the founder of the organization to, um, one, keep it local mm-hmm. and to keep the focus on the community, right? It. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's different when the people that are here to help you are, are from your community, mm-hmm. right? Takes mm-hmm. on a whole different thing when it's other yeah. people coming from some other place yeah. with their ideas and or their prejudices, yep. um, you know, and so that can, that can sometimes happen. And so we want it to be that, you know, if people meet someone through our organization, that they can stay friends and yeah. that there's a chance they might run into them in the grocery store or there's a chance, you know, that their kids, uh, their rainbow babies that are born after loss can play yeah. together. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a different approach. And we, we would love to be able to, for example, um, set up a meal train for someone and, and bring food to their house, you right. know? And so we, we need to be able to, to be in our community and our environment to be able to, to offer the, the level of um, communal support that we yes. need. And that totally makes sense. That like completely, completely makes sense. Um, for sure. And so how can someone either get more information, um, connect or support um, Saul's Light? If they have a referral that's not necessarily coming from the hospital, what's the best way to to do that? Absolutely. It's on our website. And so our website is saulslight.org or they can email info at saulslight.org. And, you know, we rely on the generosity of individual donors. Again, you know, thinking about the community approach and and taking care of our people. And so, um, you know, donations are our life's blood, Mm -hmm. if you will. Um, But not just money. We take any kind donations as well. We always have book drives for our little libraries, which is probably our most um, popular outreach program. Okay. Um, but we take new books only to stop the spread of germs, which Got is it. at a yep. whole nother level with COVID-19 now, Woo! right? Um, <laughs> we're always looking for volunteers. Um, we want women to share their stories. We recognize that there's power in storytelling that other people can be empowered mm-hmm. by your story, yep. that other people will feel less alone by your story. Um, and also to give life to the babies that we lost. Mm-hmm. So we, we see oftentimes, right, even within our own families, there's so many secrets um, that, that surround birth as yes. far as, you know, miscarriages or infertility or yes. infant loss. 
And you usually don't even find out that you know somebody who's experienced it until it happens to you. Yes. Right. Yes. And so mm -hmm. you find many times that people are holding on to those secrets and it's damaging. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. sometimes people want to say something, but feel they don't have the space to say it. Right. And right. people don't want to, you know, it's, it's, I think some people think we don't want to talk about sadness or we don't want to talk about death or we don't want to talk about your traumatic birth. But the truth is we need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. The women are not all right. Right. Okay. We need to right. talk about it. Right. Um, and that's the first step to healing. Mm -hmm. You cannot acknowledge what's, what is not said, what is not spoken about. Right. So how, how can you heal it if you don't right. even acknowledge that it exists? Right. Or that it happened, you know? And so I tell people all the time, like, um, we do a lot of advocacy um, in the local community, birth community or otherwise. Um, and I talk a lot, right? And so I feel like sometimes people might be like, well, here she goes talking about her baby again. You know, mm -hmm. nobody wants to talk about her dead baby. But, but guess what? Um, my son lived. I loved him. Mm -hmm. I wanted him. Mm -hmm. And I will never stop talking about him. Right. Because people need to face what is happening. Right. They need to face it. And I'm not going to let anybody forget about him because I can't forget about him. Right. So, you know, people should never right. forget, not just about my baby, but all the other babies. Right. All the ones that right. came through the NICU, all the ones that are going to end up in the NICU. And all the ones that didn't get a chance to live that died before their first birthday. Right. Right. They should never forget about our babies. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Let them be spoken about. Let them. Yes. All 110%. So we will make sure all of that information is in the show notes because we want people to be able to access you. Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, resources, advice, anything you want to leave them with? Yes. I, um, there, so that we have a lot of community partners and one person in particular that comes to mind, she's collecting birth stories. Her name is, um, Nicole Deggan, she's with yes. Sister Midwives. Yes. Uh, here in New Orleans. <laughs> yes, she is a doula uh, trainer. And she has this powerful phrase, <clears throat> excuse me, it's called birth is the revolution. Mm -hmm. And it is. I believe it. Yes. And so we have to start making changes, um, you know, not just here in our community, but uh, across our nation. We have a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, people that are interested in birth work and making a difference and sharing their stories and, you know, donating or volunteering, um, get involved with the people that are on the front lines that are doing the work. Mm -hmm. Um, these people are experts. They have experience. They have the knowledge. Um, they have that commitment to using their voice and advocacy. So, you know, I would say check her out. Um, if you're interested in becoming a doula, become a doula. Research shows that doulas for women of color um, positively impact mm -hmm. birth outcomes and experiences. 
Um, and so, you know, I can't even imagine um, if I'd had a doula, how, you know, how my experience had gone. So, you know, become a doula, um, donate to organizations that are doing the work, invite them to be on your webinars, mm-hmm. on your panels. Um, you know, the, like I said, the people that are on the front lines, mm-hmm. we need your help. We can't do this work alone. She's one of the women that's doing this work. She's a connector. Um, and you know, she's pouring into our community. And so we need to support her organizations like hers, organizations like mine. We need to support, um, black midwives, Mm -hmm. black doulas, um, you know, the, the people that are doing the work. So that, that's what I would say. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We've been doing the work. We still doing the work. Yes. support us and, and, yes and we're gonna do the work yes you know yes because for us it's personal right right uh right oh this is wonderful <laughs> <laughs> all i can do is put my hands up yes yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you thank you I thank you right <laughs> Oh, woo. Um, so much for sharing your story, sharing your journey, sharing this work, doing this work for families. It's an invaluable um, service. It's so important. Um, yes. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I love talking to you. Thank That's you. number one. <laughs> So we're going to have to talk again. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Um, I just appreciate, um, you know, you allowing me to share my story, but also share the mission of the organization because um, it, it's not about me. It really is about the families that we serve. It's about their babies and it's about their baby's future. Right. Um, none of us are going to live forever. These babies are going to be taken over and they're going to be in charge and we need to get give them the best start in life absolutely absolutely thanks for listening to birth stories in color to hear this show and other episodes head to birthstoriesincolor.com 